You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. We are at episode two of four in game week number one of this 2021 Penn State football season. Wisconsin hosting the Nittany Lions at noon on Saturday. We started to set the stage for that one on Monday. You heard from a Wisconsin insider on the 24-7 Sports Network breaking down the Badgers. If you missed that one, check it out. We are going to that four episode per week format. Lance Glenn, our producer on board once again for his second episode with us. Really appreciate the effort he's already put in to improving this podcast. And Mr. Fitz, we talked on Monday about depth chart watch. Forget about that. We have some insight, but no depth chart uh, here in 2021 from Penn State. Yeah, I think that's how we closed the show, thinking that we would get one by the Tuesday press conference. But uh, by, what was it, late Monday, Greg Kincaid sent out those notes. The sports sports information uh, director sent out those notes, said no depth chart this year, which is fine. Uh, You know, if if you look at what James Franklin had to say on Tuesday, about half the league doesn't put out a depth chart. I didn't realize it was that high or probably wasn't going to put out a depth chart. I get it. You know, college coaches, and I've said it a million times on this podcast, college coaches are some of the most paranoid people in the world just incredibly next level stuff that you don't even think about. So if you can add another five minutes of prep, another uh, half hour of prep or whomever may be doing that for the next couple of weeks, they're going to do it. And that's uh, unfortunately for fans, it's not the the best thing, but we've got uh, we've got a pretty good idea. And, J- and James Franklin said this on Tuesday that if you've been following the team, you got a pretty good idea. We're going to put out our depth chart on Thursday morning. Get a, We get a peek at practice on, on Wednesday night, put some final touches on, on where we see. I mean, I, there's not too much to be left unsaid. Backup receiver is something that, you know, I've when, when filling out my depth chart, you just got questions about where guys slot in, where guys like Cam Sullivan Brown, Daniel George fit in Winston Eubanks, the Shippensburg transfer, the young guys, you know, just kind of those things. So we'll do one on Thursday. It doesn't affect us all that much, but uh, it's definitely uh, a change up from the last couple of years. But you know what? We're so close to football that that belly aching about a depth chart does us no good. Yeah, we can work around this. You, myself, Mark Brennan, all live here locally. We get to as much as we can. We try to hear as much as we can. So I think that hopefully gives us an advantage here on the Lions 24-7 podcast as well. Well, this midweek edition, it's going to be an episode we bring to you on Wednesdays, situated between a couple different media sessions. On Tuesdays, we get James Franklin for his press conference. We get a few players on Zoom calls. We do have a few more players coming up here on Zoom calls on Wednesday. We're going to get to practice, hear from Franklin again, hear from Sean Clifford after practice, and then we'll always get an assistant coach on Thursdays. In this case, it will be cornerbacks coach Terry Smith. So a little bit of a lay of the land here. We come to you on Wednesdays in between all that media access, and we got to start off with James Franklin's first game week press conference that comes to you on Tuesdays at 1230 each week. Okay, so there's no depth chart. He wasn't going to give us the ones and the twos exactly, but he certainly kind of sort of named Taquan Roberson QB2. Yeah, he opened it up. He mentioned the, the rep breakdown, which is not a surprise to anybody um, that was watching practice or following along with our notes or anything like that. I will say more forthcoming about Roberson than, than he's been in the past. There's always been those questions and consistency. Still a huge question. Could he step in for Sean Clifford if Clifford goes down? I still don't know that answer, but he seems to have made some steps in camp. Franklin mentioned going without uh, a turnover 
or without an interception for a long stretch of time. And that's huge for a young quarterback to be able to do that. Uh, I think he was a touchdown king along with Winston Eubanks, but that's twos versus twos, twos versus threes, whatever. But Sean Clifford's getting all the reps at once. That's not a surprise. Roberson, 90% of the reps with the twos and, and Christian Veyer, 90% of the reps with the threes. So not, not a huge surprise, but always good to nail that down and figure out where you stand. I think they've been that way for, for a couple of weeks now, but figure out where you stand going into week one in case the the unfortunate were, were to happen. So I, I'm not surprised he, he puts some insight onto that. He did some with left guard, which is a big talking point in this preseason that we've done a lot of, we spent a lot of time looking at those guys at, at left guard. It seems to have boiled down to Anthony Wigan and and Eric Wilson, the Harvard transfer. We've seen Des Holmes more on the right side and, and we didn't see something warmly at practice last week. So curious to see where he factors in, but seems like Anthony Wigan, man, uh, has, has really come further than anybody on this roster, maybe in the off season. I, I think we were kind of writing him off after last, uh, last season, didn't really play much. And when he was in there, didn't really do much. Again, there's a difference between winning the job and keeping the job. And once you get that job, you got to be good. You got to step in there and, and do your job. But I think he's he's done a nice job in camp and, and is able to secure at least a, a rotation there with Eric Wilson. Yeah, it's a guy who came from really on the peripheral of the roster in that conversation earlier this year to to here he is maybe going to be the first team guard going at into Madison. And I think with Anthony Wigan, you know, very much like Eric Wilson, these guys didn't really play football in, in 2019. Now the difference here is Wigan, or I'm sorry, in 2020, the difference here is Wigan, you know, was was a member of a football program, practicing, helping the team prepare, but he wasn't out there on game days dealing with assignments and the pressure that comes with playing in the Big Ten trenches. While Eric Wilson saw his five final season at Harvard, what would have been a final season at Harvard, completely wiped out by the pandemic. So certainly something that that two guys who, who didn't get, get any reps in, in one case and very limited reps in another, uh, to see them ascend, uh, you know, I think you put your trust here in Phil Troutwine. I, I do wonder how many guys can you borrow from other positions and, and kind of move guys around if you need to, whether it's an injury or performance thing. It feels like there are some interchangeable pieces, guys who can be on the perimeter, guys who can be inside, slide around. Uh, but but certainly something for Franklin to, to mention these two guys say they're both going to play on Saturday. And I'll say this before, just because the one guy's out there in, in, in with the first team unit on that first possession, the second guy could end up with more snaps over the course of the game. It's going to be dictated, I, I would imagine, uh, series by series. And, and Eric Wilson is a guy, James Franklin alluded to it. You talked to Rasheed Walker yesterday. He kind of made the reference that when, when he got to Penn State, I think it was late May, uh, it was quite a shock for him. I mean, this is a big jump to make a leap from from playing Ivy League ball to playing Big Ten ball and to do it in that short period of time is is that's going to take a lot. So I think he started out a little slow, sort of got into things. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be shocking to see him maybe by the fourth game of the season or something like that kind of be the player that they thought he might be able to be. But yeah, the slow start has um, has kept him mostly with the twos at this point in left guard, but we'll see when those pads go on. Like you said, he's got experience. Wiggins got Juco experience. That's one thing. He's got at least some sort of division one experience uh, playing at Harvard. So I'm curious to see how his uh, trajectory continues in the next couple of weeks. You might be shocked here, but I'd like to quickly circle back to that, that backup quarterback conversation uh, with take one, (laughs) with take one Roberson, Um, you know, a, a guy that, you know, Enjoyed watching him play in New Jersey at the Paul Catholic. He won a state championship as a junior, had a strong senior season. Got to campus in 2019, in January of 2019, was the number three quarterback that year. He was actually the number two quarterback for the second half at Ohio State that year. 
but we just don't have a sample size of him in the game. He's traveled with the team. He's experienced a lot in that quarterback room. He's been with three different offensive coordinators. I mean, this is a guy who's pretty seasoned uh, in terms of everything that, that goes on within the program facility, but he talked about it earlier in preseason camp. Franklin had mentioned you need to look in that proverbial mirror as a backup quarterback and ask yourself, are you doing everything you can to, to wake up and, and with the QB1 mindset. So when that job comes to you, yeah, you're completely prepared for it. And Roberson, it sounds like he looked in that mirror when we had a conversation at the start of preseason camp. He said he was in the facilities far more than he had ever been in the first couple of years on campus, putting in work in the film room, kind of trying to attach himself to Sean Clifford's hip on the field, off the field, uh, get knowledge and, and prepare himself to maximize those opportunities. And, and you know, Christian comes to campus in January, helps his case a little bit, but this was the anticipated result. I think if this was not the result, you'd have a tremendously large red flag raised about Taquan Roberson and his status within this football program. But he's in an interesting spot here, Sean, because not only is he now the next man up at quarterback, and they've needed a next man to come up at quarterback the last few years, but also you've got these two talented quarterbacks coming in next year. You've got Christian Veyer getting all these reps on the practice field behind you and going to be with varsity. So not only is this important that Taquan Roberson's prepared to be the guy at the QB2 spot for Penn State this year, but for his own college future, what can he dictate about his trajectory exiting to 2021? Still a lot to figure out there. Yeah, it's a fascinating development because you look at his career. He started in 2019 and the criticism of, of Roberson and Michael Johnson was these were scout team guys and they acted like scout team guys. And this is something that it's tough to get across what my point here, but they acted like they were just going to sit in the back, let everybody do everything and, and sort of wait their turn. And waiting your turn is fine, but you're coming into a division one program with other quarterbacks, obviously some more experienced guys ahead of you, like Clifford, like Will Levis, and you're kind of passive and that's not a good thing for a quarterback. You need to come in and prepare as if you're a starter, even if you're the third or fourth guy. And that's really what set them back. And then all of a sudden 2020 happens, you don't get spring ball. You get knocked off the of campus for a few months and you have to come back and be the third guy. That's, that's, uh, you know that, and I feel I feel for Roberson in the in this situation because that's a lot of development time lost from year one to year two. And that's usually when you make a big leap as a quarterback, um, at least to to figure out if you're eventually going to be a starter, or if you're eventually just going to go the way of the portal or, or whatever happens in college football these days. Um, so he, he spends 2020 behind those other two guys. Will Levis leaves. All of a sudden, he's thrust into the spotlight, and that's a long way to go in a short period of time. I know I just said the same thing about Eric Wilson, but Roberson had to go from the third string guy as a passive third string guy to an assertive backup and that that's not for everybody so very curious to see where he's at throwing the ball as I said James Franklin a little bit more effusive in his praise than he's been about Roberson uh during this whole two years or whatever it's been um so that's good still don't don't know that he's going to do it still don't know that he's going to step in there and take the reps and make the throws and things like that and beat a, a good team or, or anything of that nature um but but you, you're starting to see some development there and on top of that as you mentioned two very talented quarterbacks coming in in 2022. So it's a fascinating crossroads for him, especially when you take into account Sean Clifford technically could come back next year. And you've got uh, those those two young quarterbacks and uh, three young quarterbacks, including the behind him, who, who've got some talent in, in their own right. So I'm, I mean, Roberson could, could eventually be a starter. He could eventually never play a meaningful snap. I mean, it's, it's really could go either way at this point. Um, but, uh, you like where Penn state is at quarterback set up for the future. It's just gotta, what's going to happen before you get there is, is anyone's guess. 
Penn State signed four quarterback prospects between the 2018 and 2020 recruiting cycles. Only Roberson remains from that collection. He's 21 years old, Sean. But your favorite thing here, third-year freshman, because he's got the red shirt back in 2019. He got the eligibility pause from the NCAA last year. So he's got three years of eligibility beyond 2021. Interesting career line ahead. And, and to your point, certainly the most praise we've heard publicly and not just Franklin, from any member of this coaching staff, from any teammate, quite frankly, on Taquan Roberson uh, in terms of his accuracy, the ball jumping out of his hand. The one thing Franklin was careful to to mention here is when it is when he has the plan put together pre-snap, he is extremely effective post-snap. It's about making sure that, that happens with consistency. That was a very good catch by you because that's the one thing that jumped out to me is if he knows where he's going with the football, he can get the football there. If some for some reason that defense changes up, and we've seen this with Sean Clifford a lot in the last couple of years, changing it with those pre-snap reads they're in trouble so i mean i hope hopefully for for their sake mike yurcich can sort of transfuse some of his what he's seeing into that and, and help them with their decision making and that's just that's for any quarterback that's taken snaps this year and that's been a, that's been an issue over the last couple of seasons that's one of the things i think that made trace mcsorley kind of special is he was able to, to to adjust those things on the fly and we haven't seen that since and that's really one of the, the concerns going into this year can that be fixed by a new offensive coordinator but yeah that's a good pickup by you to see is roberson going to be able to improvise is, and, and it's not even improvise it's not even you know changing his play or anything like that but uh, if that first read's not there, what do you do? And it, the results, as you saw last year, not great. Yeah, improvising is great, but maybe start with avoiding panic because that's where you turn the ball over and that's where you, you have d- disaster moments as a young quarterback. Yeah, pro- processing quarterback. processing yes. is probably more the word than improvise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and with Taquan Roberson, the goal now is to get him some, some game snaps and, and start to get him involved in some games. I don't foresee that happening in Madison, but there should be opportunities to do that in September to see Taquan Roberson get that first pass completion, get some familiarity, what what it's like to, to operate and communicate with your offensive coordinator while running a team on the field against an opponent that that is not wearing the same uniform as you. Sean, one other statement that, not one other statement, but another statement that James Franklin made on Tuesday that caught my attention wasn't a surprise, but I thought it was the first time we really heard a call out of sorts set in the direction of Cam Sullivan Brown and Daniel George, two guys that we've talked about quite a bit. You you referenced them at, at the start of this podcast. Cam Sullivan-Brown, year number five. Daniel George, year number four. It has not come together for these guys. They've had opportunities to varying degrees as receivers. We, we did not see much of Cam Sullivan-Brown last year at all on offense. And, and you know, right now, I, I mean, I labeled him my now or never guy uh, when we had our roundtable with Mark and, and, and you last week. And I could have gone Daniel George for that either. Franklin saying, hey, these guys, it, it's time for them to, to be starters or two deep guys. At the very least, I think we expect Kelly Andre Lambert to be that third starter at wide receiver. Um, but I thought that was interesting because it was very pointed. Uh, he addressed both of those players specifically, and then he kind of unloaded a, a, a group of names that included you know the two true freshmen, Harrison Wallace and, and Liam Clifford, as guys who may also be ready to step up if those guys aren't ready. Absolutely. I mean, he's not going to come out and say now or never, but at the same time, he was pretty pointed in saying we need more out of those guys. We need those. We need those guys to step up and and be. I think he said contributors or starters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see maybe Sullivan Brown breaks through and starts a few games with if Keandre Lambert Smith isn't isn't getting it done. But yeah, it's going to be a very interesting balance there because you look past Jahan Dotson and and Parker Washington and to a lesser extent Keandre Lambert Smith. And what do you got? You've got, I think, seven or eight catches last year between Sullivan Brown and, and George. Now Sullivan Brown has always been injured. That's that's nothing new. But 
can you get some consistency? Can you get 10 or 12 catches out of him or, or out of Sullivan Brown or something, or maybe get Daniel George to finally hold on to the ball? That's been something that's plagued him his entire career. Athletically, he's obviously right, you know, right there with everybody else, but can't catch the football. That's a problem. So very interested to see where that goes. Interested to see if, if Winston Eubanks plays a role in this. Uh, James Franklin mentioned, I think Malik Mega as well. Jaden Dot we've talked about um, in, in that uh, in that same manner. And then the, the two freshmen. So yeah, they need more. I mean, he's right. They need more out of those receivers, whether it's the young guys, the, the old guys. Um, you'd like to have at least four ready to go. And I, I see probably two and a half, three right now. One of the, another thing that, that I th- thought really, you know, kind of shed some new light on on Sean Clifford and Mike Yersich in that dynamic was Franklin talking about the aggressive nature with which Yersich coaches up his quarterbacks. We've heard from players all over the field and different coaches that he brings the juice, he has the energy. This was a little bit of a different description. It was he puts the pressure on his passers and he'll let them know if they're not operating up to his standard. Um, he is not being delicate with Sean Clifford. Sean told us a couple of weeks ago, and, and we'll hear from him again on Wednesday evening after practice, but he said, hey, it's been, it's been a challenge, but it's been a good challenge. He described it as a new version of himself with Mike Yursich. This has been a revolving door of, of play callers for him. Uh, Mike Yursich has a lot of clout in the college football universe. I just found this quite interesting. Clearly, Roberson was a motivated individual this year and doing what he needed to do, and he got to where he needed to be as a QB2. Clifford is just so front and center on everything that Penn State wants to accomplish here in, in 2021. Um, I just found it really interesting I, I, um, you know, to be a fly on the wall in some of those meetings because Clifford is an emotional, passionate guy himself. And and I think there, there's going to be some some moments now that we know that Yursich is on the sideline and not in the booth. Might be some moments to watch on the sideline when Clifford comes off for a series. I'm just going to be curious to see how that dynamic goes because these are two very strong personalities. Yeah. it's I don't know if it's going to be Bill O'Brien, Tom Brady, but uh, yeah, I could see you can see a blow up. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. Mike Yersich is a is a fiery guy. I will say with the quarterbacks, it's nice to hear about them throwing the ball and actually playing instead of the the mental approach. And I, you know that that stuff is great, but you can only say that stuff so many times over and over again. But it's it's good to hear about them getting the ball where they need to go, throwing throwing some good balls and and scoring some touchdowns because obviously that's what it's all about. So I will say that. But yeah, it will be some interesting uh, make for some interesting uh, sideline watching. I hope you have the binoculars ready at Beaver Stadium this year. If, if something goes goes awry, but uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be an experience. I, I got a text this morning asking about Penn State. I mean, it's just so much of this weighs on Clifford, and then, mm. and, and you feel like it's a cop out by saying that, but it does. I mean, that's it. You're talking about we're, we're talking about making season predictions and things like that, and you could see it going any sort of ways, but it's all gonna be on the shoulders of Sean Clifford. So it's uh it, it, it's tough to say where they're at right now in terms of being ready for Wisconsin because so much of that that focus is the defense can handle itself. That's great. The offensive playmakers can make the plays, but it's all going to go into Clifford. So I don't know where I'm going with this rant. Um, I don't know I, where I'm dude, going. I know exactly where you're going because every conversation I have, every conversation <laughs> comes back to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it starts like every like if I'm a guest on on a radio show or I'm talking to someone else from another beat or or you know someone's asking about Penn State and what it's going to be. The conversation starts with me mentioning Sean Clifford and it usually ends with me mentioning Sean Clifford. Yeah, so I think I, I think this was understand. A, I think this is a conversation about the receivers, right, or, or the left guard or something <laughs> like that. It's it's all coming back to Clifford. How about Jesse Lucetta? Uh, sounding like he was a natural fit in this transition to defensive end. I mean, getting the sense we're going to see quite a bit of him in that role. It's going to be a game-by-game deal, according to James Franklin, on how those reps are skewed because they do have plans to involve him at linebacker. The phrasing here was he will be rotated in at both defensive end 
and at linebacker, depending on the opponent, he may be, you know, really focused in on one of those areas, um, you know, continuing to, to just talk about the lack of depth and, and certainly the lack of experience and the lack of proven commodities on the defensive front. It, it's good to hear all this positive about Jesse Lucchetti yesterday. Franklin had some nice things to say, but Jesse Lucchetta pointed to him as someone who has really, you know, challenged him on the football field. Um, and, and he says in terms of learning to use his body has come a long way in that defensive end role from, from the start of preseason camp to where he is now. And Rashid Walker said him and Jesse Lucchetta have actually made it a point to, to, to go to the side and do 15 or so extra reps after every single practice of one-on-one. So Jesse Lucchetta is getting one-on-one work, extra work against one of the premier offensive tackles in the Big Ten on a daily basis. Um, you, you love that dedication. This guy's a tough kid. He's a physical kid. It's always felt like he had the physical stature to end up in this role, dating back to his recruitment. And Franklin said it again. It wasn't the first time he said this. But if his football career is to carry forward beyond college, Franklin feels like defensive end is going to be the spot where that happens. Yeah, this is a move we'd speculated back, I think, in spring of 2020 or something like that, where that that could possibly be a, a, an issue for him. Not the swiftest guy out there, as we saw in the field last year. And he's a naturally big guy. I mean, if he's up to 255 or whatever, that would not be a surprise. So it's uh, it, it's definitely a, going to be it's going to be a key piece, especially without Adisa Isaac in there. We'll see what kind of rotation he gets in there with Tar Burton with Ebikidi. But I think he's he's right there. And and you made a great point. He, he gets a chance to go against Rasheed Walker and Caden Wallace. That's something that's going to pay off for him in the long run. I think he's a guy that you can put in there. Say go after the quarterback. It's not a skill set that we've seen him use over the first couple of seasons on campus, but I think it's a skill set that he has to be able to get after the passer to to sort of just go forward. Um, when he's asked to go side to side, as we saw last year, you put him beside Ellis Brooks, that was trouble. Um, but for the most part, pin his ears back and let him go. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how he handles it. I mentioned that we talked to Rashid Walker yesterday. We also talked to Jahan Dotson, Jordan Stout, about eight or nine players in total over the course of this week we will speak with. And a common theme here, and it's not really a surprise before week one to hear this, but it was just very much comment after comment, guy after guy in uniform about playing for each other more than last year, kind of loving each other up a little bit more than last year, and really just the brotherhood, the bond. Franklin made a point here, Sean, how much of that is magnified coming out of 2020 when the team was scattered across the country. And and even when they were on campus, there was a separation involved. You didn't really have the whole team together for so long, even as the season was progressing. So how much of that is just the good vibes of getting back together and having more fellowship? That's a fair question, but it's really good to hear this kind of stuff because the 0-5 start aside, you know, that's going to to show some some scabs and that's going to to show uh, some blemishes within your program. We heard from Jahan Dotson when this team went to, I think it was 0-5 last year, about there being an issue, kind of sounded like a buy-in issue on a daily basis of of getting everybody moving in the same direction towards the game. That doesn't sound like it's an issue anymore. I I don't necessarily know what that means. Differentiating the 2020 roster, the 2021 roster, I think you can probably come up with a few different concepts there, Um, but that is a positive thing to hear. Of course, if you don't pick up a win this week, a lot of people are going to say, what the hell does it matter? But when you have a relationship like that with your teammates and your coaching staff and guys that genuinely enjoy being around each other and in team facilities and, and outside of team facilities, it actually does help you recover from a devastating loss if they were to suffer that a bit easier than if you've got division and you've got some animosity. So it's all worth keeping in mind. Well, losing just magnifies that. And, and and I don't think it was any secret last year, if you watched that team, that there were some issues and there's some guys there that aren't there anymore that you know really did not help the situation. So I think they've moved forward from that. Things like 
Dotson coming out and saying what he did, I think is a, is a big deal and setting yourself up for this year with some leaders. And you've you got 16 captains and no real argument with any of them. Sean Clifford and John Sutherland are just kind of all-time captains now. I guess they get to pick the teams every week. <laughs> Jordan Stout's a two-time captain now, which is, says something for a transfer. You know, he also runs a 4-4 as a kicker, so it says something for him as an athlete. But PJ Mustafer, Jaquan Brisker, Rashid Walker, those guys in there as well. So yeah, it's it, it's one of those things where I, I think it's very interesting to see the leadership dynamics, how that's changed over the last year, how that sort of took running off the tracks um, in the first half of last season to get back to where they needed to be. Franklin's mentioned it, players mentioned it. And if you're in a better spot from a leadership standpoint and mentally, and you mentioned it doesn't really matter if they lose, go out to Wisconsin and lose this weekend, but to, for them to be in a better place, I think it sets them up good for the long, sets them up well for the long run. Back in 2019, they had three guys who were sophomore eligible as captains. This time around, everybody's a fourth or fifth year player. All six of these guys, by the way, Clifford and Sutherland, the first three time captains in Penn State history, according to the program. Mustafer, this was uh, no doubt about it. Result from from everything we heard and, and observed during this offseason, it felt like it was imminent. Really, from the time he signed with Penn State, he was going to end up a team captain if he was going to be a factor on the field. Jaquan Brisker, this is a big one to me because what we have heard is he's a guy who certainly stepped up last year on the field, but it wasn't really until 2021 that he stepped up as a vocal leader, as a presence in meetings, as a guy who's blowing up that leadership council text thread uh, consistently. Um, and and it just sounds like it's really come together for him. Uh, you know, spend your first two years at Lackawanna College. You don't come in with a recruiting class to Penn State. It can be a little bit of, of a different transition, certainly going into a big time college football program. But here he is in year three. He's got the preseason All-American accolades, but he also, more importantly to this team right now, has the ears of his teammates and uh, you know, pretty impressive for him to, to secure captain captaincy, I think. Two guys that jump out to me, not on there, but actually both wear number five, Tariq Castro-Fields and Jahan Dotson. Thought they would mm-hmm. probably get a nod or or I'm sure they got votes or something like that. But two of the, two of the guys, especially with, after the way Dotson handled last year and, and him coming back, such a big boost for this team. Surprised he wasn't there. And then Castro Fields has just been around. I mean, he played in what, three games last year? He's, he's, played, in 40, he's played in 40 games. Yeah, he's he's been around so much. Um, so for him to not be one is a little bit surprising to me. I don't I don't know if they wanted to blow it out. I think what they have eight captains last year, nine eight captains last year. last year. That's a lot of captains. So they would have had to repeat that uh, this season. So little surprised that those two did, did not get the nod. I said P.J. Mustafer was, uh, it felt like a foregone conclusion from when he joined the team in 2018. That was not the case with Rashid Walker, who, who was part of that 2018 class. No. He did never. He did not exude future captain vibes coming out of high school early on in his, his career. And here he is. I mean, we heard it, I think, as, as early as February, March from Franklin. Had, when he decided he was going to stick around on campus and, 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 and for year number four in his third year as a starting left tackle, he locked in. He dialed in. He was motivated. And he's spending as much time as possible with Phil Troutwine. You hear that in February, March, and you say, okay, is that going to carry over? Carried over through spring, carried over through preseason camp, and wow, this was the name that stood out to me the most out of all six, and I think it says so much about how far Rasheed Walker has evolved as a person, not just as a football player. It doesn't hurt that he's playing for a contract, too. I mean, this is a kid that has an opportunity to boost his draft stock maybe more than anybody else on the roster. So uh, you get a chance to do that. You get a chance to sort of uh, get some of those intangibles down that that college or NFL scouts are looking for in terms of leadership. And, you know, captain is a a big mark on your your checklist there. And I'm excited to see 
if that if that comes to fruition, you need an offensive lineman out there to do that. You know, you've got a veteran in Miranda that's played. You've got I don't want to call him a veteran, but Caden Wallace has been out there for a bunch of snaps. Juice Drugs has been through a lot since he's been here. Um, but you need that guy to to anchor that down. If it's your left tackle, it's a good spot to be. When we come back here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, we're going to turn our attention to Penn State players, former Penn State players in the NFL. It was cut down day on Tuesday. A lot of movement, some unfortunate results, but also some really great stories that evolved, including a couple of rookies who were selected in the seventh round. We've got that. We've got our five-star mailbag, a quick recruiting note, all coming your way on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast continuing here on the lines 24 7 podcast let's take a quick look at where things are evolving for former nittany lions in the nfl a lot of action early this week across the league teams got to get down to those 53-man rosters for the regular season which is approaching as things shake out, Mark Brennan had a, a, a huge piece up on Lines 24-7 tracking all of this route. But 35 former Penn State players currently on active NFL rosters as of Tuesday night. Unfortunately, there are a bunch now scattered across the league looking for new homes, going through waivers, hitting free agency. I'll run down that list right now for you, Sean, and you can kind of pinpoint wherever you want. But Trace McSorley, released by the Ravens. Cornerback Grant Haley, released by the New Orleans Saints. Cornerback John Reed, released by the Seattle Seahawks, who acquired him in a trade after he uh, from the Houston Texans. Michael Mennett, a uh, seventh-round pick this year, released by the Arizona Cardinals. And undrafted free agent Lamont Wade did not make the hometown Pittsburgh Steelers roster. Quick note here, some of these franchises certainly will look to get guys on practice squads in the days ahead. Yeah, the roster churning is not over. So we'll see. Hopefully the guys that made it were, are able to stick. I know there's some playing around with IR and, and things like that, but I, I do expect McSorley to resurface at some point, whether it's a practice squad or as a you know a third or fourth guy. Not many teams carry that many 
players, but with COVID, you you could see it. You could see him resurface pretty quickly. He's got to get that back healthy. That's uh, obviously cost him a roster spot in Baltimore. And uh, Hundley, the backup, played really well. So uh, not much you can do about that in that situation. Minute kind of fits the profile of a guy that, that lands on a practice squad, late round pick. Uh, he took a shot on, not ready to be on that 53. So I could see that being the case. Reed has bounced around a little bit. I'm not sure if they expected him to stick in, in Seattle or not, but uh, we'll see what happens with, with Reed and Haley because those have been guys that have at least been on a roster for a year. Yeah, Haley's done a nice job of ending up on someone's roster by like mid-October the last couple of years, and, and uh, that experience should help him. Uh, it, Reed, if he finds a team here uh, this week, it'll be his third team in a matter of days. Uh, so uh, strange times for him. Better news for a couple seventh-round picks out of Penn State here in the 2021 NFL Draft. Will Fries on the roster for the Indianapolis Colts, which seems to be a fantastic fit for him. And Shaka Tony. Uh, with your Washington football team making the roster. And that is one hell of a defensive line to stay with. That's uh, that's quite a defensive line right there. And he's going to be a special teamer, I think. I don't I don't know if he's going to be active for every game, but man, 53-man roster is awesome. I thought he would be one of those guys, like I mentioned with Mennett, that seventh-round pick that they cut and then they bring back for a practice squad. But making the 53 for Shaka on that defense is pretty impressive. So really cool to see that. And Fry's, you know, big Will Fry's fan. And I thought he played well the last two years, except in those little spurts that everybody happens to remember. Um, so really cool to see him stick. He's always had the size. Athletic kid had a great pro day. Uh, I think they've moved him into guard, which is probably a better spot for him at that level. But really extremely happy for both those guys because they, you know, did certainly defied a lot of projections on that one. Phil Troutwan told us, told us, I think, this spring that he felt like that worked for Will Fries late in the season at right guard. He's played guard before, but when they brought Caden Wallace off the bench to start at right tackle, was going to really help his draft profile and the conversations he was having with NFL scouts. Certainly seems to have benefited him here uh, heading into his first year in the NFL. I've noted a bunch of bubble guys here. There's other guys that could land on this list, and, and maybe some of these guys weren't really on the bubble. We don't cover these specific beats, so I'm going to run through this. Cam Brown makes the New York Giants again. Dan Chisena, former walk-on at Penn State, sticks with the Minnesota Vikings as a special team's Troy Apke, still with the Washington football team. Ryan Bates sticks with the Buffalo Bills. Jason Gabinda, fullback extraordinaire for the Detroit Lions. Kevin Givens sticks on the 49ers three years after landing with them as an undrafted free agent. Sam Ficken with the new NFL uh, franchise, the Tennessee Titans, following a, a strong preseason performance for him. Jack Crawford with the Arizona Cardinals now. He has had a long career and that will continue in Arizona. Marcus Allen still with the Steelers after that transition to linebacker from safety last year. And then your boy, Nick Bowers. Uh, sticking with the tight ends with the Las Vegas Raiders. I tell you what, I appreciate some of these guys for extending, you know, making making us look good because I've talked up Bowers <laughs> in a, as an NFL guy. I believe he was on a practice squad last year, but for him to make it as a third tight end, I uh, had a good preseason, caught a touchdown in their last preseason game. So uh, just ecstatic for for him and and some of these other guys uh, to see Cam Brown stick around is really cool. Cabinda, you know, Cabinda is just awesome. He's always been awesome. Just you said he's a Dan to. Campbell guy. Uh, he's, he's just going to run him into a wall. I mean, he's, he's a linebacker that plays fullback, and I think he's now their third tight end. So I'll hopefully – yeah, hopefully his his head's okay by the time he gets done pl- his his football career. Um, because he's he's awesomely just incredibly entertaining. So very happy for him. Ficken, of course, the pun names always help us uh, with the, with our Twitter reach. And he had a good preseason as well, um, kicking the ball for the Titans. So hard to stick as a kicker. I know he's kind of made that fraternity as Blake Gilligan made that fraternity this year as a punter. 
once you get into it, it, it helps in finding a new job if you eventually get, because all those guys eventually get cut. But really cool to see some of these guys uh, be able to stick. And Jack Crawford, uh, South Jersey guy, feels like he's been in the league forever. Always been a big Jack Crawford fan. Always thought he would be a better pro than he was a college player. And that seems to have, have come about. And some like minds think, uh, think, think the same of him. South Jersey's favorite British football player, no doubt about it, Jack Crawford. Cool to see him build up that career. Uh, I think he's beyond a decade now in the league. So really Really impressive. And by the way, Dan Chisena, staying with Minnesota Vikings, talks about his value and that they see for him as a special teamer. We talked about his, his undrafted free agency profile maybe being a bit higher than people realize coming out of Penn State. You're seeing that now and why that is happening with Minnesota I think, Vikings. I think you meant the narrative we were pushing, but anyway. The, narr- hey, the narrative we were pushing, you're welcome then. Uh, this is <laughs> this is all us. <laughs> um, we appreciate the Vikings making that work for us. Yeah. So, anyway. a, a couple August retirements that, that happened in, in the last week or so to weeks Stefan Wisniewski retiring couple Super Bowl titles to his credit and then Anthony Zettel defensive lineman was with with the 49ers in their training camp he previously appeared this uh was on the Super Bowl roster with the Niners a couple years ago circled back with them but both these guys pretty much said heart mind spirit no longer as into it as it needs to be to, to have an NFL to still be locked in and what required of you in the NFL so hats off to both of those guys I think you know Wisniewski is a guy who went to three Super Bowls in four years to finish off his career that's a pretty special thing yeah it's good good work if you can get it he's he's been very fortunate I mean he he's earned it no doubt about mm-hmm. it but been very fortunate to be a part of some really good teams he, I think he'd probably be the first to tell you that but he's been a great representative uh, of of Penn State of of anybody that that comes from this program and and wants to stick around even if you're not a star I think he's been awesome and he's got some some rings to prove it Quick recruiting note, you've been tracking it up on our message board, but this is September 1st, which means it's the day that high school junior football players, if you're a good one, if you're a great one, keep that phone handy. Yeah, at uh, midnight on September 1st is the first time, and I know we've talked about 2023 kids for a long time on this podcast, but this is the first time that coaches can initiate that contact. Coaches can reach out and send the edits to the 2023. It's all great right now. Everybody's <laughs> really anxious to get back to all these coaches and get back to us as well. It's going to get old in about a week or so, but uh, no, it's a cool thing to see the calendar turn every September 1st. You get an idea, um, you know, who's, who's really in that mix for Penn state. And there'll be guys certainly that end up in this class that aren't hearing from Penn state right now, but they cast a wide net. Everyone does. It used to be this thing where, you know, you would just be able to call them or text them or, you know, send them messages or whatever. And now with Twitter, you can mass send edits. You can mass send all this kind of stuff. And you, you're hearing from everybody. So that it's a much wider net. I think Penn State's got 188 offers out in the 2023 class. That number probably will end up doubling at some point. Um, as in t- to try and match the uh, the 2022 class, but it- it's the time when they start going. It's the time they start feeling more of a priority. Uh, some of these guys don't understand it. it unfortunately, I- I've had some 23 kids say that they've reached out to coaches and these coaches don't don't hit them back. Well, legally they can't. You know that'd be a violation. So now these coaches can hit them back, invite them to games, get them up to campus, do everything, and take the next step in their recruitment. Just going back to what you initially said last night, as, as midnight's approaching, you see on Twitter everyone's excited. You know. Can't wait to hear from all these coaches. Who's going to hit me up first? How many of those guys three or four months down the line are going to be like, hey, I need some of these coaches to back off. Forget months, three or four days. It gets aggressive in a hurry depending on which programs you're talking to. So good luck. Uh, new new chapter for the 2023 class and, and Penn State certainly jumping fully into the fray. They had a graphic tweeted at, at 12 o'clock on the dot, I think, about the 2023 class and saying you are now up. 
five-star mailbag is now up for us, Sean. And, and it's one that I think is very timely for what's awaiting Penn State on Saturday. Without further ado, here it is. Do you guys think that having fans back in stadiums this year will in any way impact some of the younger players who have never played in front of these kinds of crowds? Sean, I'll let you take this first, but I'm just going to say unequivocally, absolutely yes. I do. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. For lack of experience there in the 2020 with with fans, you've got to find out if it's bigger. Uh, I guess if the moment is too big for some of these young guys, and you know, not a lot of them were thrust into the into big roles, prominent roles last year. We actually asked Ty Howell about this last week, and he said it's it's going to be growing up fast, and you're going to be growing up in in Camp Randall Stadium. I mean, that's a tough place to go out for for young guys like a Theo Johnson, uh, maybe like a, even like a Juice Scruggs, who non-existent last time they they played uh, with fans in the stadium. That's going to be a lot on those guys. So uh, I'm very curious to see what kind of adjustments they have to make in their own head and we're not going to see all that on the you know play out on the field but I think it's going to be something I mean you you're used to playing and and you can crank up that music you can crank up the crowd noise when you're playing practicing in the stadium but communication is going to be so big and some of the guys that have been out there they they can do this with with a hundred thousand people screaming in their ears other guys that haven't been through that situation that's that's going to take some time so that's another reason why going on the road to to Wisconsin week one is is tough because you got to figure out the communication you got to figure out that line of communication that starts at the safeties and calling out to the guys in front of them and getting guys in the right spot that's going to be that's going to be tough so i look to to a guy like Curtis Jacobs, a guy that's you know making his his first kind of start, Jair Brown um, is going to be out there a lot in, in a different sort of role than he was last year. So there are guys on that defense that are going to be making key calls that you're trusting, you're putting a lot of trust in them. So I absolutely do. I think it's a very good question because that's probably not something that we've thought about enough. How does it impact guys on that side of the ball? How does it impact guys? Even Parker Washington, who's a stud, obviously, but he's never played in front of a, of, of a huge college crowd. So how does that impact what he's doing out there, Theo John? Johnson's right in there. Brenton Strange right in there. So it's it's going to be very interesting because it's going to be there. There are going to be some guys out there. I'm not saying not singling out anybody on Penn State's roster. There are going to be some guys that are shell shocked when they walk into their first big time atmosphere. You talk about the freshmen that Penn State added in 2020 and 21 combined. That's about what 40 guys. That's almost half of your roster that has not had a chance to play in front of uh, you know. A Big Ten stadium, much less more than a high school crowd. 2019 um, as well. <laughs> if you redshirted in 2019, exactly. That, I mean, that's where, ground. Yeah. that's where I was I going mean, next. You've, you've Just, been in that stadium. Yes, but it's a uh, very different. Very different when you're actually asked to do something in that stadium. Yeah, and there's a bunch. Of, I mean, so you think, okay, there's 40 to 50 guys who who were on this team in 2019. Well, how many of them were actually on the field going through uh, a game, and how many of them were on the sideline enjoying the travel lifestyle, but not checking in and not experiencing what it's like to fail on a play in front of 100,000 people and have to go and break back later, uh, 20 seconds later, you know, be able to bounce back and play. I think we're going to learn a lot about the fortitude of some of these guys. Um, I think it's a good year to have an experienced quarterback. Sean Clifford has played in hostile environments before, um, but it is fair to, to ask that question because there's a lot of guys who are going to be counted on to contribute uh, that we just do not necessarily know how they are going to react. And it's not just running out of the tunnel and saying, oh my gosh, and, and losing your bearings. It is, like I said, facing an adverse moment early in the game, late in the game, what have you, and being able to put it behind you 
And that is a lot less easy to do when you are in this you know, spotlight of all spotlights in, in, in a college football setting like this versus last year, where even when it was Ohio State and Penn State and it was a national TV broadcast, I can tell you in Beaver Stadium, it felt like a controlled environment. It felt like almost a, a glorified practice because it was so quiet in there. That's a big change. I'm very curious how this impacts or how a veteran quarterback presence, not just with Sean Clifford, but in college football together, veteran quarterbacks that have played in that environment before, how much better their team will be off because they've they've actually dealt with this. Excellent question. We look forward to the next one on Apple Podcasts. Drop your five-star rating and review along with your question on Penn State football recruiting. We'll get to that next episode. We'll talk to you all soon. Uh, Sean, we got to get back to work. We got some player calls coming up. We've got practice availability later unless we get completely flooded out here in State College. But that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, anything else to add? No, that's actually a pretty realistic possibility. It's still <laughs> poured here all night. It's pouring now and uh, flash flood watch is always fun you know it's this usually happens on a friday before a home football game so we're happy penn state's on the road this week so the uh tailgate lots will not be completely underwater Follow lines247.com throughout the week, getting you ready for this Wisconsin matchup. Sean's got a depth chart uh, coming up on Thursday. We've got our season predictions, our game one predictions coming your way on the site and also on the next episode of this podcast, which will be relatively soon. Again, four episodes per week. The third episode coming your way uh, should be available on Thursday. And that's when we will give you our full rundown of Penn State versus Wisconsin, our score predictions and our season predictions. And of course, after the game on Saturday, it's our first post-game podcast of 2021. We look forward to bringing you that. On behalf of Sean and our producer, Lance Glenn, I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.